everybody. It's me, Maria, with Sisters with Sabres. Uh, I wanted to come in really quickly and before the episode, give you guys some context. The sound is a little bit bad at the beginning. I'm still learning how to edit and kind of pull some of those sounds out. Uh, please bear with me while I get that nailed down. Um, I think this is a really important conversation, and I'm glad that Raven was able to help me capture it today. Uh, and I hope you guys really enjoy it. The title is Ray is the Biracial Experience, and we're going to be talking about what it's like to be um, two parts of something at the same time and how to coexist in that space. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Um, if you haven't already left a review, that would be really cool if you did that. And we can't wait to hear from you guys, whatever your thoughts and feedback are on the episode. Uh, feel free to leave those at our email. It's sistas, S-I-S-T-A-S, with sabers at gmail.com, and it will also be in the show notes. Enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. It's me, Maria, with Sisters with Sabers. And today, we're going to do a little something different. When this comes out, we'll be doing a special episode, and it is a semi, I think it's a character dissection. I want to say that. Yeah, character dissection. We are going to be talking about Ray, because Ray is the biracial experience, and I'm joined by my friend, my other sister, with Sabre. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. What's your name? So everybody knows who you are. Oh, my name is D. Raven Spencer, but you can just go ahead and call me Raven. Hey. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to get that captured on the mic. That was one of the pieces of feedback was they didn't know who was who. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're talking about it. Where do you want to start? I got a few notes. Well, let's go ahead with your notes. I have some notes, but they're more just uh, things I want to hit on that I think that will probably go with what you want to, what your notes are so let's start with that and then we'll work our way through i want to put something up top we're going to reference some things um if you haven't heard the the youtube video if you haven't watched it uncomfortable conversations with a black man episode five about interracial relationships we may touch on that so that might be a good idea for context if you want to know more about that situation but because both raven and i are products of interracial relationships uh, we're going to relate this experience to the character of Ray. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. Absolutely. So um, I want to talk about when we first meet Ray. So we meet her yes. in The Force Awakens. And for all intents and purposes, she is living in a ghetto. Yes. Jack as we all know it to be. Mm -hmm. Even Luke in The Last Jedi knows that Jakku is the ghetto, uh, as it were, in the Star Wars universe. And even while she's growing up in this location, she's alone. Uh, why do you think that is? Well, I think a part of it is, you know, obviously when we meet Rey, we don't know much about her. But it's quite clear from the beginning that she doesn't know very much about her either. Um, but I think that, you know, we often find people who don't have a support structure or, you know, family or, you know, something to belong in, uh, finding themselves in those places where they can be and, and, and be without that support structure or that system or that family, however you want to phrase it. Uh, to me, I think that that's the reason we find her there is because she doesn't necessarily belong anywhere, not because she doesn't belong, but simply because she doesn't know where she belongs. 
Yes, absolutely. Go back to that scene. I remember the first time I saw it in the theater, I just started crying. She's in that destroyer all alone, counting the days and eating what looks to be like, to me, spoiled meat and a crust of bread. And yes. it just took me right back to those days in my own personal life because I, I came up in a situation. My parents, when we, when we first grew up, everything was cool. We were in like this lower middle class neighborhood. When my parents split, we ended up right in the hood. My mom just kind of decided that that was the best place for a biracial person to end up. Right. Um, so that's where we landed. So I immediately just started crying because I could feel it. I could feel it. And there's no words in that scene, but they conveyed so much to me. It's like, I remember that feeling of being alone, wanting to be more, wanting to be important, uh, but not sure how to get there. What do I do? Where do I go? Absolutely. And you see how she's, how she's handling that, you know, with, you know, standing up straight and going about her business. You can tell that this is someone who knows this struggle. And regardless of how sad she may be scratching her little, you know, slashes on the wall to count the days that she has, you know, she's been here and she knows how to survive this. For me, that was the part that really, that really hit for me with Ray and the Force Awakens was her, you know, she was still vulnerable. You know, she had all of the the vulnerability that we generally, you know, assign to someone like Padme. But she also had that same kind of strength of, okay, well, this is my situation. This is where I'm at. I'm going to have to get through this you know, my own way and on my own. And and for me, you know, I can definitely see where you're coming from. But for me, the, the thing that I saw was her not allowing her situation to defeat her, you know, even though she was clearly bothered by it. She was like, you can bother me all you want to, but I'm still going to survive because I'm going to keep eating my, you know, basic government rations type <laughs> food and I'm going to make my own way. I'm going to drag my stuff to the, you know, to the desk and and all of those things. So yeah, I mean, I agree with you entirely. Uh, for me, though, that was the thing that really hit was the fact that she wasn't going to let that situation defeat her. I mean, she definitely, to a certain point, had to accept that it defined her to a point, uh, but she wasn't going to let it win, you know? Absolutely. I, I think her determination is is really palpable when she's going to get the rations with BB-8 and she mm-hmm. decides, no, she's not going to turn them in, even though... Ankar uh, Plut. Yeah, Ankar was really putting the putting the screws to her with with the finance angle yeah he knows she needs that money you know right and i've been put in those situations too where Mm -hmm. they know you need it and whoever has a goal makes the rules and people take advantage of that and that's what we mean when we say systemic racism that's what we're talking about is that it's not always about well because you're black i'm gonna call you the n-word it's also about you know you know i'm in need and you're taking advantage of the fact that i'm in need right and you know that there's no one that's going to come and question you taking advantage of me and that i'm in a situation where i certainly can't question you taking advantage of me absolutely what did you think about the scrubbing scene she's scrubbing the parts that she just picked up well what i saw there again was you know that determination i would you know I would rather not be doing this. I would rather be doing something else. I think that there's something more out there for me, you know, or maybe there was supposed to be something else for me, but this is what I have to do to survive. Um, Mm -hmm. Again, it's that, you know, nitty gritty. It's that having two jobs. It's, you know, whatever your particular struggle might be, it's that same thing. It's, 
you know, and even the way that she was doing it, you know, she's not scrubbing, you know, in a nice, easy manner. She's scrubbing in a way that made my arms hurt watching her. That's, again, it's that determination in her just to not let the situation she's in, you know, be everything. She's going to do this and she's going to do it right and she's going to do it good and she's going to do the best that she can. And if she can get it done (laughs) quicker rather than not, then that's great, you know, but for me, that's that's what I felt from her was that, you know, that she was putting some of her frustration, her anger, her sadness, her rage, whatever, into that actual process. And I think we've all been there where you, you know, you get angry and you use that adrenaline that runs through you to do something that you don't want to do, but you know that you have to. And, you know, again, just showing her Im- Im- immense strength, you know, in the face of what a lot of people, let's face it, would just sit down and a corner and be sad about and you know that's okay because everybody reacts to situations differently but for her you know this is her character her character is one that you know and i mean i think it goes throughout the entire sequel trilogy as you watch her she Mm -hmm. is affected by things that happen to her she's not afraid to be emotional about it but when she's made her decision she's made her decision right on the same page even when it comes to her speeder like taking nothing and making something you know and i don't know about you but that's definitely my experience from living in you know government housing or anything like that people take nothing and they make something out of anything absolutely and 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 i you know i've experienced it as well not in that particular way but you know most certainly having to you know make do with what you have and sometimes making do with what you have if you use your brain a little bit you can make more than just make do um i know we've talked about it you know you and i just on different topics but you know for me it's things like you know when i couldn't afford to get my hair done i learned how to do it myself <laughs> you know and so it allows me to have something that you know at times was not financially feasible yes it's extra work and effort and struggle but in the end i get to enjoy something that i might not have otherwise had you know and of course it's you know such a small thing compared to you know your transportation or whatever the case may be but you can even equate it to her sliding down the hill on the sand you know that's her using her ingenuity well i could use a whole bunch of energy to climb down or find a way to walk down and struggle down or i can just do this hey it gives me a moment of joy as well so it's it's you know it has multiple you know positive purposes you know what i mean or positive effects absolutely find your little joy when you can you know find your little joy when you can and I think that's something that I've learned over the years and I certainly would, you know, tell my younger self is when things are really hard, if you can find a moment of joy, whatever it is, if it's a song, if it's a movie, if it's taking a walk, you know, whatever your thing might be, find those little joys because they will get you through those hard times. What do you think about Ray speaking two languages? I think Ray speaking two languages goes to a couple of different aspects of her personality. I think partially it's, again, you know, having to survive and having to make do and realizing that she's going to be better off if she can communicate with more and communicate more effectively. But also I think it goes to the fact that while it's never really spoken out loud, it's quite clear that Ray is is not a dummy. She is a smart, smart, smart smart woman and it shows that she understands that if she you know applies herself she can do this um it's you know i mean 
you know, we're led to believe, obviously, that she's been there since she was very small. And it's unlikely that she spoke two languages when she was that small. But maybe she did. I mean, I don't know. But it does kind of lead you to believe that if she's clearly doing that and understanding other languages, that she's just she's smart and she's using her smarts in a way that's going to be effective for her. I mean, we all know that, right? I mean, in a lot of jobs, you can be paid more simply because you speak more than one language, you know, and if you speak a particular language or a couple of particular languages, you can really leverage that as, a, you know, a huge upside compared to, excuse me, someone like me who only speaks English and bad English. You know, if you can speak, you know, Spanish or if you can speak Cantonese and, you know, some other languages that are really widespread all over the world, you can, you know, just be held up higher because of that. And I think that for her, maybe she hasn't thought about it specifically that way, but clearly she has, you know, incorporated it into her life when we see her life is mostly her alone. So it's not something that she, you know, necessarily had to do because Ankar Plutt, you know, he clearly speaks basic, you know, um, so there was no reason for her to have to know other languages, but it certainly benefits her. And does she only speak two? I mean, she understands Chewy. She understands BB-8. You know, how many other, you know, languages does she speak that we aren't aware of? Great point. I didn't even think about Chewy. Oh my God, I'm an idiot. <laughs> Not at all. These are just the kind of things we notice after time. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, tying it back to the the biracial experience, Ebonics is a language, whether people want to admit it or not. It is a way for people of color to relate to each other and share an experience. And words have different meaning. They can have several different meanings, inflections different, um, and even the way that a sentence is structured can be different. So, um, I think that's an important tie as well. And we're talking about people who have no culture, you know, just right. it's been stolen. I think Ebonics is a way for individuals to relate um, without really having a culture or a language. Absolutely. And I think, too, when it comes to Ebonics, there's definitely a, in my opinion, there's a massive re- misrepresentation of what Ebonics is. You know, it is another language, yes. But it really could be tied to even a different dialect because I live in, you know, I grew up in Wisconsin. I live in Minnesota, but I lived in Las Vegas for a couple of years. And there were plenty of words and sayings and colloquialisms that people in Las Vegas looked at me like I was crazy when I would say because they just didn't understand those. And it's just simply because I'm from a different part of the country. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, that's not the same thing as Ebonics, but it is kind of that, you know, that principle. If you talk to someone, you know, for me particularly, if I talk to someone from the South, they, you know, they talk about all sorts of things where I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Even though you're speaking, you know, <laughs> English to me, I don't know what that is because it's not something that, you know, I deal with. And I can use a perfect example, even living the difference between Wisconsin and Minnesota, which, as everyone knows, are right next to each other. In Wisconsin, we call it soda. Here in Minneapolis or Minnesota, they call it pop. That was a huge adjustment for me, just to recognize that when someone said pop, they meant what I would call soda. You know, and in Wisconsin, we call it a bubbler, and here they call it a water fountain. And in Wisconsin, we say duck, duck, goose, and here they say duck, duck, gray duck. 
And I mean, those are very small things, but it's, if you, if you encompass it all together, you know, it's a dialect. It's not a complete different language. And obviously, Ebonics is much deeper than using a different word for this or a different word for that. Like you said, it's about sentence structure and that kind of thing. So it is deeper than that. But I think that for people maybe who aren't familiar with it or people who aren't necessarily comfortable with it, if you thought of it in the sense of it's a different dialect, it actually makes, to me, it makes it simpler. You know what I mean? And I'm always about breaking things down to the simple before you get into the weeds about it. And if you really think about Ebonics, they're speaking English, you know, they're using plenty of words that you know. A lot of times they're just turning what we would, you know, what regular English is two words into one word, you know, and and kind of stringing it together. You know, I'm finna go here, I'm finna go there. It you know what that means, <laughs> yeah. you know, and all that is is a shortening of a, a, a couple of words that I would not normally say because it's not in my dialect. I would not say I'm fitting to go here or fitting to go there. But 200 years ago, I might have said I'm fitting to go here, or fitting to go there. And I'm finna go here and finna go there is just saying that and smushing it into one shorter word. You know, so again, if we look at it from that simplistic point of view, it suddenly becomes a whole lot less foreign, quote unquote. You know what I mean? I feel like the first time I encountered Ebonics, like, cause like I said, I grew up in central Florida. I, I hadn't, I hadn't even met another black person that wasn't family until I was like eight or nine. And you want to talk about a communication gap. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I had that, I had that same experience, except when I was eight or nine, the people I was meeting for the first time were my family. And I'm standing in a room full of people that I know that I'm related to. I mean, I can see their faces. I know that I'm related to them just by looking at them, which in itself for me was a, a world changer. But on top of that, they're talking around me and I'm not understanding most of what they're saying because it was Ebonics. And I grew up in a very, very pale neighborhood and a very pale family in a very pale city, <laughs> you know, and so it was completely mm -hmm. foreign to me at that point. So yeah, I mean, I can, I can get behind that all day. And it's, it's such a weird thing when you, when you finally do meet them, I think that's another area where we need to, we need to make sure that, you know, other black people understand that we may not have met you before. It's not that we think we're better than, you know, you have that first interaction and, oh, you think you're special. Bitch, mm -hmm. you think you're high yellow. You, you think you're mm -hmm. so good. It's like, dude, I didn't even know about this shit until two minutes ago. Exactly. I have no and idea it, what it is no you're talking about. Yeah. And it's no different if I were, you know, at that point to bring you to my family or my neighborhood, or my school, which would seem completely foreign to you. And it's not necessary. And, you know, and I've always said, you know, different doesn't necessarily mean bad. And okay. you know, I'm thankful that I grew up that way, that my mom, you know, she said to me, you know, you know what, you are different from everybody you see. There's no way around it. You're different. You know, that's just the way it is. And if people don't like it, they can go home. As much as I ignored most of what my mother told me when I was a kid, that stuck because she was just like, you know what? You're different. Learn to deal with it. It's, it, you know, there's nothing wrong with you being different. It's totally okay. You know, so, you know, being the odd man out is something that I am very familiar with. And I never thought it meant that I was better than anybody. It just meant that I was different. And I'm not different from everybody. I'm just different from the people I was around <laughs> at the time. <laughs> 
Absolutely. And I think for people who don't understand what we're talking about, there is a conception in the black community that someone who is lighter skinned or has a finer texture of hair, that somehow they are better than or greater than. And it is a falsehood. Um, in it's a fact, complete falsehood. Absolutely. It, it does not make us any better. In fact, I think the biracial experience is a little bit tougher because you have to balance both worlds. And I right. remember being in my father's home and his Cuban friend offered his condolences because I did not speak Spanish. Yep. I'm so sorry. Oh my God, this must be terrible for you. You know, in yeah, front I, of my I have, yeah. I mean, I had it slightly different, obviously, because I, I did speak Spanish, actually, when I was a kid, even though it's uh, not part of my, you know, genetic makeup. Um, but I, I had it with, you know, I have three half sisters, beautiful blonde, ha blonde haired, you know, blue eyed Norwegian beauty queens. And my mom's friends sometimes would say, oh, don't you wish you were as pretty as your sisters? Don't you wish you, you know, you had hair like your sisters and, you know, those kinds of comments. And it's just like, wow, thanks. Okay. I'll just be over here then. <laughs> right. Know? And what does that do to somebody? Well, for me, it was traumatizing. It was absolutely traumatizing because I grew up with a very, very warped view of, of myself as far as how other people saw me. Not so much, obviously, with my family. My family was pretty good, especially when I was younger. Um, they didn't know any better. You know what I mean? Like, my sisters didn't look at me and think they were better than me because they were different than me. They just were like, yeah, she has a different dad. What? <laughs> No, they just didn't think any deeper than that. But, you know, my eldest half-sister is five years younger than me. I've been who I am her whole life. She wouldn't know me if I wasn't. I think um, Ray's vision, yes. confronting a legacy. Yes. Tell me, tell me about that. Tell me what you see when you saw that. Well, I mean, for me, it's kind of a mixed situation simply because, you know, obviously being a Star Wars fan, <laughs> you know, and being an a, original trilogy fan, you know, the legacy is something specific to me. You know, she's hearing voices that I know. She's, he you know, people that I am familiar with, people who I consider to be part of my, you know, quote unquote family. Um, so, you know, there was that level of it, which was neat to see that connection. But at the same time, what I got personally from it was the same kind of impression that I got when I, you know, as I got into fifth and sixth grade and I started having other black people in my classes at school because we had the chapter 220 program, which was people being bussed in uh, from the inner city. And that was really my first experience with black people other than a very short period of time where I had some experience with my family and it was seeing seeing people where you felt an immediate connection you know I felt an immediate connection to these people that I didn't know and yet at the same time there was no connection at all because I didn't know them you know mm -hmm. but we had a connection on a completely different level we had a melanin connection it was it was a struggle for me you know to to try to you know as a, as a young person you know five, fifth grade you're you know 10 years old you're just you know you're trying to work that out in your own mind, that feeling of connection with people that you don't know and not really exactly knowing why. I mean, obviously I knew why. Look, people who look like me finally, but at the same time, they didn't 
you know, feel that way about me. So there was not that, you know, just like Ray, there was not actually a connection coming back. Like she was there, she was seeing this vision, she's hearing these voices. But at that point, it was really kind of disembodied. You know what I mean? Like she was hearing echoes of the past rather than when she goes down into the, you know, uh, and has the vision with the lightsaber down in uh, Maz Kanata's, you know, basement, as it were, where they're actually talking to her you know what i'm saying in that first vision it's not really you know at parts of it they're not really talking to her they're talking and she hears them if that makes sense absolutely when i'm thinking about the scene in the force awakens where ray has the vision she's Mm -hmm. confronting a legacy that she does not understand right so i was maybe six and this makes me think about the talk right my grandmother Mm -hmm. i was about six years old she told me the story right and um the story of of the white wolves and the people of the sun and the white wolves came and they one by one ate up the people of the sun because they were darker you know and they they wanted them for whatever reason it was in their natural dna to seek to destroy to harm okay all these things right and i'm yep. a kid hearing this story and i'm like what does this have to do with me and right. she just points to my arm like you are their legacy people of the sun live in you yep. and it created fear and confusion and if this is still happening why do people let it happen because why people don't care if they cared they would do something about it. That's what yep. I heard my whole life. This is the way it is, you know, up until like I was a teenager. And for whatever reason, I think I was just listening to NSYNC or something. My mom comes in the room and starts laughing her ass off. Like, you're never going to marry a white man. White men don't want anything to do with us. You need to come back down to earth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Insanely life shattering, right? Absolutely. Confronting that legacy and and what it can do to you. Like, that's, that's a, a tall order for a small person to get their head around and I'm trying to deliver this information to my stepson who is 10 in a way that he can understand but also doesn't put intense pressure on him right. to be the emissary or the person that fights against it you know mm-hmm. and um and it is tough but when I when I see that vision with Ray and that interaction with Maz Kanata I see the elderly grandmother you know or the fairy godmother um passing on uh the legacy and and some of it's good and some of it's bad, you know, yep. and she has to wear that now. She has to yes. own that. And the immediate response is, I don't want any part of this. Yep. And I related with that because Absolutely. the first time I heard that story and, and that whatever fable, whatever you want to call it. And she, you know, for, for the rest of the generation, the sun people were cursed because of, of the white wolves. And I'm like, I don't want to be cursed. I don't want to live with this. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, well, you know, I read a lot of books and curses can be undone. So what do I, <laughs> yes. what do I need to do? <laughs> Like, yep. we'll, just go on, we'll go on a quest and we'll squash it. It's all good. Um, And I had no idea. No idea. Right. And it's like, this is not a breakable curse. And right. if it's breakable, it's only breakable by the people that started it. Exactly. And I was like, wow, that's deep. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, and I, I'm a little bit older than you. Um, And so, you know, my, the talk for me came from watching Roots, having to accept the fact that the guys on the boat coming to get the people and the people they were taking on the boat both are me. I'm both of 
those people. I'm the enemy and I'm the victim. You know, I'm all of those things. And when I was, you know, very small, it was a really hard, you know, under, you know, hard to parse that. Like, can I just be one or the other? Like, I don't want to necessarily be one more than the other, but can I just be one of them as opposed to having to be both? You know, I mean, people always say, you know, there is no gray area. Yeah, there is. I live in it. I'm the living embodiment of it. I am the gray area. There is a middle of absolutely everything. And I I know you know exactly how I'm, <laughs> what I mean. And as, as a young child, that is hard to understand, especially if you're in a situation like, like I was, and I'm, you know, I'm certainly not special. I know, you know, many other people, but to grow up in a world where no one else around you, no one you meet, no one you see, no one you encounter Mm -hmm. is living in that same gray area. There's Mm -hmm. not even anyone who can explain it to you. And I mean, I understood the, the, the technical workings, you know, my father is black, my mother is white. And the man she's married to now, my stepfather is also white. And that's why the other three girls are white. And I understood that from that technical, you know, place, but there's a lot more to it than just the technicality of being part one thing and part the other when the world you live in very clearly puts your two different parts on two different sides of the fence and you live your life feeling like Humpty Dumpty tiptoeing on that wall and not feeling like either side is truly safe to fall. Absolutely. To the point where if I get my hair done, I don't put on Star Wars material because I know what's going to be said about that. Like, you yep. can't read a book. Oh, you want to know reading, bitches. Oh, mm-hmm. you know, like, hey, dude, um, if we didn't read, we might not have ever made it off the plantation. <laughs> so <laughs> reading is, is pretty fucking cool. Yeah, uh, but absolutely. you know what I mean? It's stuff like that. And I think, to your point, walking in both worlds, like, I, I know a lot of people aren't happy with Ray Palpatine, and I'm not either, but I no. think the fact that she is half light and half dark really, really makes this an interesting character. And that's why she's able to stand with Kylo, you know, and she's able to stand toe-to-toe with him, where everybody else has kind of written him off, is because she, she's she got one toe in that world. Maybe she might not understand it right now, but she, she's she got right. something inside her that can relate to that. And I think that's a strength, well, yeah. if not a weakness. Her darkness, you know, you know, as as a Palpatine, you know, her darkness comes from, you know, that side of the force being strong, you know, just within her. And and I and I identify with that definitely not because I think that there's a dark side of the force that's strong within me, but that is part of who I am. The part of me that, you know, the majority of people, especially in my younger years, tried to pretend didn't exist is, in fact, a part of who I am. And that history and all that comes with it and and you know even the simple things as looking in the mirror that is a part of who I am and I refuse to pretend like it doesn't exist and I refuse to allow other people to ignore it I'm not going to run around and smack them in the face with it <laughs> but it's there and so I think I, I agree because I think in a, in a certain way he's reaching for something that is within him she's living with it within her she just chose to use it for a better purpose than he did at least for a while. <laughs> Why do you think people are uncomfortable acknowledging that there are two sides within you? 
Well, because anybody, anybody, you know, nobody likes to confront the unknown or the less known. And I think that everybody has a difficulty believing that they're capable of great good and great evil. And I think that that's just very hard for people to believe because I think most people just automatically believe, you know, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. And, you know, I'm not disputing that that people are good. (laughs) You're all shit. (laughs) Exactly. But we are all capable of great evil. Even the best among us, Luke Skywalker, for that moment standing above Kylo. Even the greatest Mm -hmm. people among us, the best, the most pure, can have those moments where we crack, where we break, where we bend almost too far. You know, and it doesn't matter how quickly you reel it in. If you've gone too far, you've gone too far, and you might not be able to take that back. And I think any one of us has been in a situation in our life where we've said something we shouldn't have said or did something we shouldn't have done and the you know and the repercussions of it never really go away and it's not necessarily that that makes you evil but you have to consider the fact that you chose at one point to do something that you knew you know could have massive consequences and yet you ignored your better angels and did it anyway And it doesn't even necessarily, like I say, have to be something evil. It can simply be something stupid. And it's like, I would never do something so stupid as drive drunk. But lots of people do. It doesn't make them bad people. It's the side of them that decides, you know, with the wrong brain, (laughs) as it were. You know, with that other side of your personality that's willing to steamroll over other people to get what you want or to get what you need. It's the part of us that when injured, immediately lashes out with violence and anger. That is a real part of humanity and a part of the human experience. And I think for most people, it's just simply scary. And anybody who's ever been in a moment where they've succumbed to, you know, the kind of rage where you don't remember exactly what happened after the fact, most people have a very hard time looking at that person in the mirror. I love the fact that she she has this side, but it doesn't mean that it's bad. Just because someone in the past past did something bad it doesn't make everyone from that line bad exactly and and we've talked about that before that that's something that i you know that that i think black people specifically can really identify with it's like we have been painted as fill in the blank here and we have been painted as those things because that's what some people were or in you know more truth what some people were forced to be and i think what we don't understand as as you know, so, so evolved 2020 individuals is (laughs) let me, you know, let me propose something to you. Let's say I put you on a boat and send you out into the middle of South America to a tribe that has never encountered modern people. Now you're going to walk in there. They're not going to speak English. They're not going to be dressed the way you are. They aren't going to live or eat or do anything the way that you do it. Are you, or are you not going to think you're better than them? The fact is, is that the majority of us would not be able to help ourselves, but think that we were better than them and try to teach them and help them and guide them. They're not lesser than you. They're different than you. That is the mistake that was made over and over and over again in human history. And somehow we keep making that mistake. And the reality is it's because we're humans. It's part of our wiring. And we have to, if you accept that and if you face it and you realize that, you know what? I wouldn't last a day out in this jungle. And these people have been lasting for hundreds and thousands of years doing it this way. So who among us is actually superior to the other? As as Africans, you know, we 
were brought here and we were kept ignorant mm -hmm. of reading writing arithmetic basic you know anything that we didn't need to do for somebody else so it was easy to look at them and go oh stupid dumb don't have anything to offer the world except what they can physically do for us it made total sense for people to think that way the problem is is that so many people still apply that kind of label when it's no longer the truth but they find other ways to continue to you know apply that label such as things like ebonics and the same thing goes for something like ray palpatine okay now i didn't like that she was ray palpatine either i would have preferred that she had stayed ray nobody because i thought it would have been more powerful but it does at a certain point kind of lend itself more to this particular discussion that we're having because she's a palpatine everybody automatically assumed she was going gonna go dark because that's what happens if you're a palpatine you're just gonna be a criminal because you're black i i wanted to catch that on mic thank you <laughs> thank you you know and guess what guess what rappers are also actors that's not yep. real yep. most of it is not real um, and if you're judging individuals of color based on something you saw on tv remember that they're actors and and as a parent if you have children if you have small children you know i i agree that it's a good idea to keep them away from terribly violent things and so on and so forth but what's more important when you have children is to explain to them what is real and what is not and what is what is what is actual and what is here to entertain you i when i was a kid you know i mean obviously again time differences but i would look at people like kiss and go what is with the makeup and the platforms and the tongue and the whole bit you know and my mom was just like yeah when he goes home at night he puts on his pants one leg at a time same as you do this is what he does for a living this is all part of a show he's a totally normal dude when he's not doing this and that goes for absolutely everybody out there celebrity or not it goes for you and me and everybody else when we go to work. We go to work and that's our work persona. It might not be as over the top as something like what Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley, you know, do, but it's acting. We are putting on a show mm -hmm. because we're at work. We don't swear as much at work as we do when we're at home. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're out with your work friends for happy hour, you don't drink the way you would drink with, you know, with your buddies and your pals and your friends. You tell jokes with your friends that you wouldn't tell with your boss and all of those other kinds of things. We all do it on a generally on a smaller scale and unfortunately in this world we live in there are people out there who have to act hardcore every day and i'm talking to my trans brothers and sisters and mm -hmm. i'm talking to everybody in the lgbtq plus community you know they have to live their lives pretending to be someone else and we all have to accept that we all do it at a, you know, to a certain degree. And as parents, as adults, even if you're not a parent, if you're an auntie like I am, that's part of your responsibility is to teach kids the difference between real life and what you have to do to make it. Even if that might just simply be not swearing as much at work. <laughs> you know, or whatever the case Absolutely. may be. Absolutely. The kayfabe, as they say in wrestling. Yeah. I'm, I'm a huge wrestling fan. And, yep, and I yep. have been as long as I can remember. My, my dad introduced me to it. He was, um, cleaning up the Amway arena and he was telling me about these 
these big monster guys that were were fighting and mm-hmm. i i when i saw jim duggan go down i'm just like oh my god he's dead then my dad's <laughs> like no this is this is not real they're not they're not fighting like that it's like right. dancing and i'm like oh okay mm-hmm. and it was a lot easier to accept but yeah absolutely it's it's another similarity to that absolutely mm-hmm. what did you think about her scene in the last jedi show me my parents the the long endless rays oh gosh well for me that was a crying moment it was a bawling like crazy moment it's an emotional moment for me even now um mostly because and i think if anybody out there that's listening is adopted they'll understand where i'm coming from a lot of you know a lot of people have experienced for whatever reason what I experienced and what that is, is spending the majority of my young life looking across the, you know, the dinner table to people who didn't look like me. My sisters don't look like me. My mom doesn't look like me. My stepdad obviously doesn't look like me. None of my family did. For me, her looking in that mirror reminded me of looking in the mirror for years and years and years and wondering where this face came from and Mm -hmm. where this coloring came from and all of that experience and again you know i met my father at a a age i could remember just a few times when i was young but he was not a very good person and that's the reason why he wasn't around so i want to be clear my mom wasn't like a horrible person my dad was (laughs) Um, but when i met him again at the age of 19 there was this moment of such a weight being lifted off my shoulders because i got off of a greyhound bus at a greyhound bus station and there are hundreds of people you know running this way and that everywhere and i'm telling you from a hundred feet away i knew right away which one was my father because for the first time in my life i saw a face that looked like mine for the first time in my life i recognized someone and said you look like me and it was such a thing and so when she's looking in that mirror and she's looking for that connection i understood it on a level that was just you know i think completely different than you know some people probably saw it she was looking for answers and the answers did not come and she saw that the only person she could depend on the only person that was really there was her and that is hard to accept when you're looking for that, you know, for Come that connection, you know, and my mother is adopted. So, you know, I felt it on a level of wondering if she felt this way, mm-hmm. you know, not ever knowing where she came from or who she came from, if there was anybody out there that looked like her. And mm-hmm. so it's, it, you know, it was very powerful for me on that level. And I'm, I mean, I don't know how you felt about it, but for me, that's how it hit. But again, that's, you know, through the filter of my own experience. Right. Which is what, what it's all about today is, is about our experiences. And, and how we relate them to this particular topic and character. Absolutely. Sure. Um, yeah. I kind of felt the same way. Like she's she's looking for her place. Show yep. me where I belong, right? And yep. and sh- the picture starts out very very fuzzy, mm-hmm. and and I can relate to that. Mm-hmm. Like what I think I remember about my childhood yep. when I grew up and I asked questions to people. It turns out some of that stuff was completely wrong. Or I saw it the wrong way or people tried to spin it in a way. You know, my mother spent a lot of years trying to paint herself as the victim and that wasn't always the case. 
yeah, um, is what I found out when I went back as an adult and asked people who were close to them what mm-hmm. really happened. You know, I was 20 some odd years old before I found out why they divorced. Right. Like, that just wasn't a conversation. Dad's no longer here anymore. Right. And we're going to go live in the ghetto. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yep. It's like, wow. Okay. <laughs> yep. And for whatever, so. <laughs> whatever reason it happens, it happens, you know, mm-hmm. and that's, I think that that, you know, again, you know, we both have talked, you know, many times about how we identify with Ray. And in my particular case, I identify with her because her parents left her where they did to protect her. My mother kept me from my father to protect me. And I found out years later that she actually was keeping me from him to protect me. And, you know, in my particular case, the stories were all true. But yeah, it's it's exactly the same. Her parents were trying to protect her. They were hiding her from the dangers of where she came from. And in my particular case, that's what my mom was doing. She was protecting me from the danger of where I came from. But it did leave me in a spot where I didn't know where I belong. Can you talk a little bit about DNA testing here? This is kind of going to link right into that. Um, Yeah, DNA testing is great. If you haven't done it, go do it. <laughs> That's that's my first and, and major message about DNA testing. But for African people, uh, a huge part of the culture, and I'm not talking about black people from America, but I'm talking about African people, African cultures, tribal cultures. Being able to put your feet in the soil of your ancestors is spiritual. It's the most important thing you can do. And as black people in America, we don't know where our ancestors came from. That was taken from us purposefully it was erased our names were erased everything we were was destroyed and we were brought here as cattle to do work for people the only way a lot of us are ever going to be able to find out where in africa we need to put our feet on the ground is by doing dna testing and so if it's something you can do i highly recommend you do it because i know for me Especially with my mother being adopted, I was like completely oblivious to anything about my, you know, my ethnic heritage, my, you know, my DNA. Um, there was such a great relief in me to finally know where my ancestors came from, to know. And as I said to you the other day, you know, I went to a museum not too long after I got my DNA results and walking through the halls of the African exhibits, there was something so powerful about knowing that when I walked up to that case that had all of these beautiful, you know, pieces of art and masks from the Congolese people for me to be able to say, those are mine. Those belong to me. That is where I belong. That is where I came from. And it was so powerful to know that and to feel that. And I had felt it previously in my life because I did know a little bit, a very tiny bit about my, you know, DNA beforehand, but it was from my mother's side, which is a completely different situation. You know, I can track her ancestors back to you know, everywhere. But when I went to Ireland, I felt that same feeling, knowing that I was on the land of my people, that this was the soil of my people. And I sure as everything you can imagine, dug my hand into that soil in Ireland. And someday I hope to do it in, you know, in Africa, in the Ivory Coast and, you know, in in Congo. I want to go to those places and have that moment of bringing myself back to where I came from. But that's not something most black people can do unless they do this one thing that can give you that chance to know where you actually came from because I've done the paperwork guys I've been doing genealogy for almost 15 years now and I'm telling you 
the paperwork for most of us just doesn't exist. The best you're going to get is, you know, black male aged 40. Well, that could be your grandpappy. It might not be. We don't know because he doesn't have a name. In fact, the only thing he is is black male age 40. You know, that's, that's right. That's the reality. And, and we can sit here and be, no, and, and we can sit here and be angry about it. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, but you can sit and just be angry about it, or you can be angry about it and use that energy to do something about it. And to me, going out and getting a DNA test is the first step in doing something about it. Will it tell you exactly where you came from? Of course not. It won't, but at least it will give you a a, a basic idea because you have to remember Africa is quite large <laughs> and people from Ethiopia are not the same as people from the Congo people you know I mean these are all different kinds of people and it's important that you know who your ancestors are even if you can't say specifically who they are at least you can get closer and at least you know that if you're ever lucky enough to get you know on a plane or on a boat or whatever and get to Africa know where you can put your feet in the soil know where you can give libations to the spirits and know that you are back there and you can have your lion king moment you know um it's important even if you can't get there just to know where the target is it's a huge huge moment for you and also to you know you know if you're if you're black you know find out what you can about your last name because the majority of us took the last names of plantation owners that in itself can tell you a lot about where your people come from i'm a ewing you know that's not the name i have now but that is my given last name i know who the ewings were i know how many plantations they owned i know where they came from i have more information because of that fact you're just leading me right down the rabbit trail. The name you choose, it's the, uh, I think I'm gonna move right into that. Okay. Uh, and then we'll, we'll touch on some other things. Uh, but yeah, I, I wanna talk about the name you choose. We both have changed our names in different ways. Um, mm-hmm. just due to our experience, I dropped anything that's associated with my mother. Um, because, you know, my mother was was the bad guy in the story. She um what's the name of that movie where the girl is kept inside and it's because she doesn't even have a disease, the mom's just a maniac. Uh that mom, mommy dearest? No, no, it's a Lisa <laughs> I saw that movie. so long ago I don't remember what it was about. I just remember her being crazy. <laughs> um <clears throat> I don't know. I'm sure if you said it I'd be like, Oh yeah, that one but it's it's not coming to me. No, it's okay. I got it. I'm going to look it up. Everything, everything. That's oh, what it's okay. Called. Yep, yep, everything, yep, okay. everything. If you want to know who my mom is, go watch that. Um, right. So she just, she, um, any, any chance she got to say, no, you probably can't do that. No, you, why are you dressed like that? Go put some makeup on. Jesus Christ, you look like shit. You know, any, any time that she could, well, you probably shouldn't even try to hang out with those Hispanic girls because you know you can't speak Spanish and you don't want to bring a knife to a gunfight. You know, right. uh, just whatever she could, you know. So um I made the decision maybe four years ago to drop anything associated with her because I'm not that person. And, and yep. those people have never met my daughter. They don't call me, Um, mm-hmm. you know. And then later on, 
at her best friend's funeral, I found out that she suffered from addiction just like I do. And, mm-hmm. and she never told me. She saw me yeah. struggling. She saw all the things that I went through and, and never said anything about it. And I'm like, you knew the whole time what was wrong, yep. with me, but you did nothing. Yep. And so, and it, and it was part of the probably problem. to protect herself. It was mm-hmm. probably to protect herself. Absolutely. Didn't want yeah. to admit she was a bad guy. Didn't want yep. to admit it. Yep. And, uh, yeah, I think the name you choose is very powerful. I mean, you can, you make the decision. So I, I moved my, my middle name became my first name and I made a new middle name. I, I chose Ashlo, which is the, the light side of the force. Um, just because nice. I, I wanted to make the commitment to try to be the hero in right. any situation to try to be the good guy. Yeah. Um, and that's something that I'm working on still to this day. But I don't the, think I'll ever be done. But the working on it, part of it, as as Luke would tell you, is the, the sole purpose of a Jedi. It's the I, whole reason for it. I can't talk right now. I'm crying. You go. You go ahead. I'll, I'll, I'll cover for you because you're my sister and I love you. Um, <clears throat> I changed my name uh, originally. <laughs> when I was about four years old, uh, not by choice, just my mother was married to my stepfather at that time. And before that, obviously not a whole lot of paperwork for a kid, uh, that needed to be done. So, uh, I started living under his name. Uh, I have lived under his name my entire life since then, but I did not legally change it until I was 26 years old because I needed to get a passport to go, uh, to the UK. And, it was, it was not a hard choice for me because I had already made the choice, you know. I mean, I'd always known what my, my real quote unquote last name was. I just never had any need to identify with that person. My father is, you know, the worst of the worst of the worst. And I, you know, I've always lived by the, you know, the credo of if it ain't helping me, it's hurting me and I'm cutting it loose and he qualifies. Um, but when I did change my name, I found that it was incredibly emotional because I had to supply paperwork and anybody who's been through it knows you have to have, you know, your notarized documents and whatever. And I, I was lucky enough to know that when my dad wrote his short little letter or my stepdad and for the record, my parents divorced when I was about 11 years old. So he hasn't actually been my stepdad for about 30 years. Uh, however, he's not aware of that, nor am I. But he wrote up his little thing, you know, I so-and-so, you know, claim that she's been living under this since I married her mother in 1980 and blah, blah, blah. The notary is my sister. It was like a, a real true family event to, to change my name officially. And I always thought it was really, really interesting that my last name means new man. That's what it's meant to me. I got a new man in my life. Granted, I got him when I was really little, <laughs> but he didn't have to be what he was. He never treated me any differently than my sisters. You know, he never fit, made me feel unwelcome or unloved or lesser than my three sisters who were actually his children. And even after my parents divorced, he he never treated me differently. You know, when I was a young person, he never treated me as if I was lesser 
than his other three children. He, in fact, tried to adopt me when my parents divorced. He tried to keep me. <laughs> the law just wouldn't let him. So I chose the tribe I chose because they're the ones that supported me. He did the job. You know, somebody else supplied the cellular stuff, but he did the work. He did the job. He was the one who taught me to tie my shoes and ride my bike and to read my little critters books. So, yeah, I carry his name. I carry his name proudly and, and will until the day that I die. And I won't ever use the other one. I, I simply refuse to identify with that that part of who I am in that way. I'm happy to identify with it in the mirror and as who I actually am, but I'm not going to label it. I'm not giving him that power. Mm -hmm. The guy who paid is the guy who gets gets the credit. And I don't mean money. <laughs> <laughs> and I as a parent, you know, being a parent is you pay blood, sweat, and tears. And he did oh, it for yeah. somebody else's kid. Yeah, I, I tell my stepson all the time, I love you more than he does. And it's not because yep. it's competition. It's because it's it's hard to love someone who's not your own, right? You don't yep. always get input on what happens. You just have mm -hmm. to be there in spite of. Some days you yep. support. Some days you're not there at all. You know, it's it's very tough to love someone who is not your own. I want to talk about which box do you check? We talked about the belonging you seek, that Maz Kanata quote, which box mm -hmm. do you think we should be checking? Because there weren't many boxes when I was a kid. Yeah, there definitely weren't many boxes when I was a kid. There was no other box when I was a kid, that's for certain. If if I if I could, I I would never ever check a box. Any box. I I refuse to be labeled. If I'm required to choose a box, I hope that there's an other box available to me but usually if 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 i don't i mean i guess i shouldn't say that because i really haven't had that experience since you know i was a very small child where i didn't have a choice of an other box but i always would choose other if the, if the option was presented to me i guess if i was you know forced to choose now and i couldn't choose other i i i would choose the one that legally defines me which is a black woman but that's the reality <laughs> yeah i would check both boxes um and that would piss people off black and hispanic you know yes, and teachers yes. would say on the scantron like you you can't pick two you yep. only get one when i was a, a very small child i remember my mother telling me you pick whatever box you want they all apply to you or if you put other then you know what does that mean that yep. that's even worse it is. And, and, and there's, there's no good answer to that question for somebody, you know, like me, like you, like us, you know, and I'm certain, you know, we're not the only ones. And I know mm -hmm. you know that. So do I. But for the people listening, you know, we don't, you know, we don't think we're the only ones that go through this. But what's most important is for people that aren't like us to understand how it is to live in this particular gray area. When you can't choose a box, and even more importantly, as you and I have discussed previously, no box wants to choose you. you okay, know, because let's if talk I, about check, that. If I check the black box, mm -hmm. there are a whole lot of people mm -hmm. who would not appreciate that. You yes. are not black. You are not, not black us. enough. Mm -hmm. Yes. 
don't don't try to identify with us. You're not one of us. That in itself is is a whole different kettle of fish as far as not identifying because I'm not white for the record. You know, yes, part of me is my mother is, of course, but Mm -hmm. my father isn't. And for anyone to tell me that I am or am not either is absolutely, utterly ridiculous and rarely encountered that, you know, when I was growing up from white people. But I encounter it a lot (laughs) from black people. You are not one of us. Do not, you know, come and stand with us. You're not one of us. You're someone else. You're other. And go stand in the other camp. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, I, you know, it's like, I'm sorry to tell you guys, there's not an other camp. <laughs> you know? I mean, it's getting bigger, yeah. but there's not an other camp. And, you know, if I was to break the law and a police officer was to call, you know, and describe me to someone, he wouldn't say, you know, biracial or mixed race or any other such thing. He would call me a black woman. That's what I am. That's right. That's the other thing is like what the world sees you. Yeah, exactly. That's it. The world sees you as that because my skin is dark. I cannot Mm -hmm. be Latina, you know, because I don't speak Spanish. I'm not riding a donkey and I don't have a sombrero on. I can't be Hispanic. There's no way. I don't look like Jennifer Lopez. Right. And I don't speak Ebonics. And, you know, many other reasons why I'm considered to be, as is often, you know, thrown at me, Uncle Tom and my light skin privilege and, you know, so on. Yeah. I I don't buy that, man. That's. Yes. Mm -hmm. And, and, and that anger comes from a real place. And I don't want to discount that because it matters. There's a reason why there, that anger exists. You know, as I've used the, you know, the example before, if you write a a book about somebody who is Grace Jones, say, and then you cast someone like me to play the character in the Hollywood movie. Yeah, I can see where the anger comes from. That fear on the part of the people who make movies and have made movies and hopefully will stop doing. But, you know, that anger can't be directed at me. I'm not the one who makes that call. I know I'm not Grace Jones. I'm fully aware of it, you know, and I don't expect for people to be like, oh, yeah, that's a perfect casting. You know, I completely understand that anger, but direct that anger at the people who are doing it, not at those of us who just happen to be there, you know, because that's a real issue. And it's a it's a it's a perfectly justified anger. I just think we need to make sure that we're directing that anger in the proper direction. And that's something I'm hearing a lot more of late, especially. Absolutely. And I think we need to keep addressing that for sure. And yes. you, you touched on the M word and I, mm-hmm. I don't like the M word. I don't like the word yep. mixed because mm-hmm. it indicates that it's a thing. You're mixing two things instead of a person you touched on the word other which i also don't care for um you know it's like you don't fit here and you don't fit here so we're throwing you in this whatnot box that we just Mm -hmm. have lying around of random things you know and that's almost like an alien that's important to talk about too is is you know everybody out there who's listening there is so much terminology for the kinds of things we're talking about 
And if we use a term that you don't like, please understand it's, it's, you know, not meant to be offensive. And certainly no one is just assuming that everybody calls everyone this or that or the other thing. But, you know, in order to talk about these things, we can't spend 25 minutes qualifying every statement with, you know, every single possible title you could or, you know, label you could put on a group before we can, you know what I mean? Uh, there's, there's a reason why we can't do that, but, Mm -hmm. but it is, it it does need to be talked about that some people don't like the M word and some people don't like, you know, multiracial or biracial or, you know, pick your, you know, term. And it it goes for, you know, anybody out there, you know, there's a hundred thousand terms to describe any kind of person. And there are going to be people that don't like a particular term you know, placed, you know, as a label on them. So just, you know, for those listening, please understand that if we use a term that, you know, especially, you know, I guess I should speak just, you know, directly for myself. If I use a term that offends you, please try to understand that it's not meant to be that way. And I know that that doesn't excuse it, but please try to understand that I'm trying to use the terms that I'm the most aware of or the ones that I've been most often told are acceptable or just simply the things that, you know, shoot I grew up with you know I mean because I think that's a lot of what we talk about now is things that were okay 20 years ago are not okay now and absolutely you have to you have to allow for people that have been doing something for 20 30 40 years to learn how to use the different terminology and and know that we can't always please everybody with what terminology we might use so you know I I just want to make that clear you know please don't be offended if I use a term you don't like, because it's not meant to be offensive on any level. It's just I simply can only say so many terms before, you know, we run out of time. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think the same is true when you're interacting with a, a person of, of mixed race. Ask mm-hmm. them. For some people, yeah. they don't have a problem with mixed. Some people don't yeah. have a problem with that word. I tell people drinks and dogs are mixed. I'm a person. You know, I'm mm-hmm. I'm biracial my my daughter is multiracial white she's she's black she's latina and who the hell knows what else uh, right jedi you know there's a little bit of everything in there so and i i believe there's some sith in there too somewhere oh yeah uh, definitely <laughs> she's a hellcat most days. i'm only saying that because i know her mom i mean <laughs> oh yes that's true very true but you know ask people if you're not sure don't make an assumption and and yep. you know ask them how how can i refer to you what's comfortable for you in in your racial complex what's what's comfortable for you it's no different than i had a conversation yesterday with somebody who who is transgender you know i asked this person i said what are your pronouns yep what do you want to do cuz i and- i want to make you happy i want this conversation to be a positive one Absolutely. And if you're not comfortable asking that question, because I think we have to address the fact that not everybody is comfortable asking that question, take your cues from the person that you're talking to. Okay? Take your cues from what they do. The majority of people will tell you themselves without having to say it outright. They will tell you themselves if you just pay attention. People give off cues the same as we Star Wars fans give off cues by wearing Star Wars stuff when we go places, right? It's a, it's a label that we're putting on ourselves and we're, and we're sending the message out to everybody around us that, you know, we know the thing and, you know, 
take your cues from the person you're talking to. If they refer to themselves as biracial, that's what they want you to refer to them as. So use that term. You know, in this particular case, you and I are talking, so we can't ask everybody in the audience what they would like to be called by. But if you're in that situation and you don't feel comfortable asking, take your cues from that person. And and honestly, that really, really applies to everybody. Okay, because most people will tell you themselves without saying so. Sometimes they'll tell you outright, which is even more helpful. <laughs> but, you know, oh, it yeah. is understandable if you're not comfortable asking someone because you feel like you're going to put them on the spot or you might offend them by asking. You know, if you don't feel comfortable asking, take your cues from them and try to use as neutral a term as you can, you know, in the meantime, until you have some sort of, you know, indication. Absolutely. I think that's a really good message to send out. When Thank I email so people at work whose names I don't know, mm -hmm. you know, if I'm talking to you about someone who's, you know, a name I don't know, somebody I'm not familiar with, I will say they, even though it looks like that name might be her or him, I will say they. That way I know that I'm <clears throat> going with the, the, the route that's least likely to upset anyone. It's the most neutral term I can use without being told specifically what someone's pronouns might be. And I try to operate that way in regular life as well. Absolutely. I think that's important. And we can all make the effort to do it. it it's not, you know, yeah. a terrible yeah. inconvenience. It's really not. And, and also, you know, you know, try to realize if you're, especially if you're dealing with somebody older, understand that, that, you know, old habits die hard. And, 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 you know, try to understand the difference between somebody who's trying to be a jerk and somebody who just simply is so ingrained in, you know, whatever term it might be that they, it, it's impossible for them to reel it back. You know, <laughs> my mom can't call me biracial. She doesn't know how to do that. She only knows how to call me mixed. I just, you know, okay. That's what she's going to do. She's 65 years old. I don't know how much more I can do to... <laughs> to change her habits now. <laughs> right. And, and we do what we can and, and we leave yeah. the rest to them. You know, if they're able to do it fine, if they're not, you know, then there's a decision that has to be made. Either you, you muddle through or, or yep. you make the decision. So it yep. depends and on how hurtful it is. And yep. And it's certainly up to, up to each person to make the call, whether or not they want to put up with that person, not being able to, you know, use the term that they feel comfortable with. That's, you know, entirely up to the person. But I just know that especially in, you know, the the business that I work in, you know, for some people, it just takes a couple of times before they finally get, the, you know, okay, I'm not going to forget next time, you know. And uh, sometimes I think that there's a little hurt that goes on that's, you know, entirely unintended and we all make mistakes. Try to remember that every time we're calling somebody out for something. We've all made mistakes. Not a one of us is pure and perfect. And, you know, I mean, obviously there are certain cases, but, <laughs> you know, sometimes it is just, oops, my bad. Absolutely. And and that's okay. We all made mistakes. Yeah. Um, it happens. It's about what you do after you know you fucked up. Like, okay, I fucked up. <laughs> exactly. I, need to, I need to do better in this area. Yep. Whatever it is. I apologize. My bad. I did not mean to say that. I, mm -hmm. I will try harder. And you know, most, for most people, that moment where they have to admit that they screwed up 
is the one that teaches them never to screw up again. And we've all been there too. Sometimes if somebody's calling you out for using a wrong term or the wrong pronouns or whatever the case may be, it's a reminder to you to remember not to do that again. And sometimes those kinds of things stick better than the polite, you know, oh, if you could just please, you know. Absolutely. I want to tie it back to Ray. I want to go back to Ray. <laughs> and I want to talk about the, the similarities between interracial dating and whatever's going on with Kylo and Ray. I'm yeah. going to say that I was not a fan at first. When the kiss happened, I freaked out. I'm like, no, you can't be with him. And then I sat and I thought about it. And I'm like, me saying that is like what black guys say when they see me with my husband. Mm -hmm. I can't say that anymore. That's not fair. It's the same thing that, you know, you're, you're a sister. Why aren't you with a strong brother? We were in a club one time and, and this man, looks at my husband and says, you're, I don't know how you did that, but you're lucky as fuck, you know, mm-hmm. these, these kinds of things, these little micro, like, whatever's aggressions or whatever, like, I can't say that anymore when I see Ray and Kylo together, they're together because they're together, they're two yep. um people that are on this unique wavelength, regardless of what their side affiliation is. And I had to like check myself on it because I'm just going to be real. I was not comfortable that first time, the second time, the third time I saw Rise of Skywalker. I think I saw it like eight times in theaters just because um, it was in 4D in Orlando. And I'm like, when's the next time we're going to see a Star Wars in four fucking D? We have to go. And then Ahsoka... You know, I'm like, well, I don't know when the next time a Star Wars movie is going to be in theaters. My daughter needs to be in the seat to say we put her in the seat. So I took the picture. I paid for the ticket just to she lasted all of like five seconds before she Mm -hmm. started screaming. Um, But, you know, I I had to make sure that she her first in movie experience was Star Wars. And in order to ensure that I had to go see Rise of Skywalker again. Right. Uh, but, you know, it's like I'm I'm getting more comfortable with it. But I, I tried to put it through the lens of like how people judge us when they see us. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I I can't do that. That's so uncool. That's very uncool of me. Well, and it's, you know, it goes back to for me, it just goes back to one of the first things I learned as a as a human being. Do unto others. I don't want to be judged on the color of my skin. How dare I do it to someone else? How dare I? How dare I cut them out of something or tell them they can't do something or they can't have something because they're different? I mean, after all of the talking we've done about treating people differently for because they're different on whatever level it might be, how dare I? And that's when I look at when I look at you know, the Raylo situation or Kylo and Ray or Ben and Ray, however, you know, <laughs> whatever label you want to put on that whole situation, you know, um, I have mixed feelings about it, even though I personally am, you know, mm-hmm. kind of a lazy, a lazy Raylo. Um, but like I say, for me, when I look at their situation, I see people thinking that we're, you know, we're different. Even though we have this connection, we can't do this. 
Can't. It's not right. Shouldn't do it. Can't do it. Can't do it. But the connection is there. Doesn't really matter if you're different. Doesn't matter if everybody approves of it. It's what's there. And in this life, we only live so long. Do you know, if you can find some happiness, as Henry Rollins once famously said, do not walk toward it, run. And who cares where that happiness comes from? As long as you're happy, that's what matters. We're all going to get a whole bunch of crap through the, you know, the course of our lives, pain, suffering, all of those things. Happiness is the only thing that is not guaranteed. Honey, do not walk away from it because somebody says you shouldn't or because, you know, the world thinks you shouldn't. No, you see happiness and you can get your hands on it. Go to it. Run. Like somebody stole your purse. Run towards it because it might not, you know, it might not last. and You might not get another chance. And you know, if you're going to judge people for something, that's perfectly acceptable. You know, we're humans, we're going to do it. But, you know, be sure that you can turn that lens upon yourself. And if you can't, you should think about it a little bit further before you make that judgment out loud. You know, there is such a thing as personal private thoughts. You can think whatever you want. <laughs> it's up to you to decide whether or not you should say it out loud. <laughs> Wait a minute. You, you mean I don't have to share everything I think on social media? You don't. Oh, my God. I know. It's a life-changing epiphany right now, isn't it? <laughs> People are and also, And also, it's okay for someone that you know, someone you like, someone you love to think differently than you. You can still love them for the things about them that you love. And you can disagree with them. It's it's perfectly okay to disagree with people, you know, and, and we see that a lot, especially with social media. You know, <clears throat> people get really, really angry because you tweeted that one thing. And it's like, hold on a second. When was the last time you walked in that person's shoes? Oh, you haven't? So maybe you shouldn't cut them off because you disagree with them. You can disagree. I mean, I'm not saying you have to change your opinion because they had a different experience than you. But just try to remember that we all go through. Absolutely. I think it's important. Yeah. And the same goes for, you know, the issue with, you know, Ray and Kylo, you know, and we've, we've broken it down a hundred different ways on, you know, a hundred different podcasts and, uh, you know, fanfic and all of the other thing. I mean, that's what's beautiful about Star Wars is it, you know, the, the community is so huge and any what, and whatever your opinion is, whatever your, uh, theory is, you know, there is somebody out there who agrees with you. Again, you know, do not walk, run to those people and, and <clears throat> tell your truth, tell your view, tell your side. They are going to want to hear it and be a part of that. And that is important. It's so important. And we all need to be accepting that everybody has different views. Now, granted, the movies are what the movies are. We can't change what happened in the movie. And if you didn't like what happened in the movie, you're 100%, you know, okay to do that, not like it. But there are ways that you can still be a fan, even if you don't like the way that the movie went or how the character was used. And we, you know, we talked about it on a previous podcast about Finn and about Hux and about the way that their characters were used and how we didn't like it. And the same situation goes, you know, for the Raylos and the, and the anti Raylos as it, as it happens, you know, among us. This is what happened in the movie. You can't change it. 
You don't have to like it. And it's perfectly fine to go on and talk about what you would have rather had happen or which, you know, and, and especially if you're one of those creative people that can write fanfic, go and write the fanfic where it turns out the way you wanted it to. Because there's a hundred thousand other people out there who want to hear the way you tell the story. But the fact of the matter is, is that whether we like it or not, these movies, all of them, all, every movie is someone else's view someone else's art how do you want your art to be treated would you prefer that somebody offer constructive criticism and say you know i didn't like the way you did this i didn't like the way you did that or do you want them to turn around and call you a nazi or tell you that you're anti-woman because you you know you got her with this person instead of that person or whatever the case may be that's where we have to draw the line you know what i mean we can disagree we can disagree you know aggressively but try not to be cruel and try not to discount something simply because it's not your experience it's not your you know feeling i you know again as a as a as a lazy raylo myself the kiss uh you know i i kind of could go either way on that depending on the day but for me the moment that that made my little raylo heart sing was when he was standing next to her, you know, and he looked to her and without a word said, I'm here if, if you need me. And she's like, yeah, I, I want you to stand here next to me, not in front of me, not carrying me, stand next to me. That is what a real partner does, no matter who your partner might be. You know, a real partner is one who will stand next to you. Not someone necessarily who's always going to step to the forefront. And for me, that was the moment that made my little Raylo heart sing because there he was admitting that he was willing to follow her lead, whatever her lead might be. Absolutely. I think the thing with the sequel trilogy is body language. Like body language is king in the sequel trilogy in general. There's so much that isn't said that's just done in gestures, whether it's the the shrug, the Ben Solo shrug, the Uh the look away solo shot, or you know, there's there's so much done without any language at all. Whether it's Finn taking off the helmet. Like there's just so much of it is just unspoken body language. It's amazing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And when you look at things like for me, the throne room scene, you know, after the big fight and everything else like that, when he's asking her to join him and she's looking at him, you know, tears in her eyes, you can see her heart is breaking over it, but she just tells him, don't do this, Ben. She's already decided he thinks he's trying to convince her, and it's like, dude, this game is already over, okay? She has already decided her path. She's already walking her path. She's asking you not to make it harder for her. And and in that moment, I think you see, you know, one of it's one of the many moments, I suppose. But for me, that's one of the biggest moments of her power and her showing her power as a woman, saying, I don't give a damn how I feel about you. I have made my decision. And yes, it hurts me that you're not coming with me, that you don't want to do what I want to do. But honey, I have made my decision. Don't do this. Don't make this harder than it has to be. You know, and I know for a lot of people, she might have seemed weak at that moment. But to me, she was she was Diana Prince standing there staring him down. Don't do this. 
don't make this harder. I've already made my decision. And you're not necessarily a part of it. That's what's up. Thank you so much. I am going to, I think we're going to end there. Okay. I think there's a lot of really good shit in here. I hope Um, so. I hope hope somebody took something away. I hope it it made a difference or it it confirmed something for you or got you to think about something in a different way, uh, which is the whole goal of the podcast is just to, to put some different points of view out there. There's a lot of Star Wars podcasts and, and I appreciate each and every person who takes the time, uh, to listen to what we have to say. It really means a lot, uh, to us. Absolutely. Um, we will be back, uh, next week with a regular Sisters with Sabres episode. Um, if you're interested in the artwork that was done for this episode, you can, um, reach out to Open Canvas. He's our art guy or he, he did the logo or whatever. And he's a really cool dude. Um, if you're looking for that, um, do you have a plug? Anything you want to plug, Raven? Uh, not this time. Nope. I'm, I'm clean today. Okay. Uh, we covered the uncomfortable conversations with the black band. I think that might be worth, uh, giving a listen to as well. If you found this at all helpful, there's even more stuff out there that you can listen to if you're, uh, so inclined. I am at Blurred Girl Jedi on Twitter and Instagram if you're interested in seeing more annoying pictures of my daughter. Um, <laughs> you can find those there. I'm on Twitter at, uh, at Jennabella J <clears throat> and I'm, incredibly boring but feel free to follow me (laughs) (laughs) and the pod is at savers with uh we will see you next week thanks for listening Mm